You're listening to Microspy, a podcast that takes a closer look at the lives and work of musicians and creatives I admire. My name is Eric Rattensperger. In this episode, I speak with Mike Taylor, guitarist of the seminal hardcore band Page 99. Mike and I share some punk rock history, having played numerous shows together in our band's earlier years. From playing food co-ops, the flat bottom of a half-pipe, to our band sleeping on the floor of an old movie theater somewhere in Virginia, our memories are fond and plenty. Mike's fluency of music is inspiring. We talk about his love of hip-hop and how shows like 120 Minutes and Yo! MTV Raps changed the way he consumed music as a kid. We also discuss the origins of Page 99 and their recent tours that raised money and awareness for organizations supporting equal rights for all. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Mike Taylor of Page 99. My first love of music, real love, where I dove in and explored for music records and stuff, was all like the early 90s hip-hop. And I just loved a lot of that stuff, like Souls of Mischief and Ice-T and Ice Cube and just all that, the coup. And I just really loved all that kind of stuff. So that's what my first, like, delving deep. And I, you know, I, I used to, like, space off and think, oh, man, it would be cool to be if I could, like, be in some hip-hop rap or something. <laughs> of course, that never happened. But, like, as I, when I finally went to high school and your um, your social circle kind of widens, and at that time, very important to note that Nirvana exploded right at about that time. And just about everybody I knew was, like, grasping on to, like, stuff like Nirvana and then everything uh, peripheral to that, stuff like, you know, it'd be like Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots are the obvious ones. And then to the left of center, you had Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic Youth. So right around that time in like 90, 92, 93, going into 93, I just started discovering a lot of like different music, alternative, punk, indie, started coming into my life. I was going to ask you, where where were you coming across all of this music? Like, what what led you to hip hop first, and then subsequently bands like Dinosaur Jr. or Sonic Youth? So it's a good question. I mean, like for me, it's funny because now I'll talk about the older hip hop, and it's a little it's a little like buried as far almost underground. But for me, growing up forty five minutes west of DC in the suburbs, we didn't have like record stores or anything like that close to us. So my gateway of seeing a lot a lot of that stuff. Then was either if it happened to have been on the radio, but MTV was a huge thing. Like, I mean, it sounds funny to just think about it. It seems dated, but you have stuff like 120 Minutes or Yo! MTV Raps, and they're playing, like, deep cut stuff, like just stuff I still haven't seen videos of if I'm gonna, unless I go down a YouTube rabbit hole, which I've done here and there. But, you know, I, I, was, I heard so much stuff, like, you know, hip-hop, and then that, like I said, from there... MTV was still doing 120 minutes, and they, you'd see the craziest stuff. Jesus Lizard, the Melvins, the Cows, Sabadell, I mean, you, Dinosaur Jr., Sonic Youth, I mean, and that's just when it all happened. So that's when I started seeing it, and then, you know, once I started, when I actually started playing music, and then that led from one person to the next person to the other person, everybody swapping tapes or mixtapes or anything like that, that's when you just started, like, hearing more and more stuff so it happened fast it was like it's almost like a a fire burning it burns really quick and hot and covers a lot of ground it's like as soon as as soon as i would get stuff like that i would get the next thing that sounded like that i still and, do it <laughs> and, and over time you you found yourself around other people who were kind of on the same path right you know friends who were kind of like said sharing mixtapes and and Sort of that was one of the the pathways to discovering new music at the time, right? And I imagine, mm-hmm. especially when it came to like underground punk and hardcore stuff, you know, in those earlier days, when did you start going to shows, and 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 what was that? What was that aspect of music discovery like for you? Oh, I mean, it opened my world, opened my eyes. So, so Chris and I he and I pretty much were like soaking up the same stuff. And it seemed like as soon as I got into it or if he got into something, we were both sharing it. But when I got into high school, I had met 
And that's when I started soaking up Nirvana. I'd gone to a Battle of a Band show at my high school and saw this band called Cool Hand Puke play. <laughs> <laughs> and this had Eric Kane playing drums, who I didn't know at the time. And he was such a – he was like eighth grade then. I don't think he was even in our school yet. But Eric plays drums now in Strike Anywhere. He's been the – he's drummer in Strike Anywhere for a long time. And he plays in other bands, and he's played in um, – we've done a lot of bands together since. We've done, like, little projects and stuff, and he's played in Pygmy Lush. But I saw them play first, and they were doing, like, covers of, like – they were doing Dinosaur Jr., the Ramones, Nirvana. They were doing their own songs. They were doing Dead Boys, and that's when I was like, this band is rad. They look cool. They look like, they look like you know, grunge and Nirvana, and – um I remember I would see these guys around, and then I saw them again. My so I guess my officially my first exposure to like some sort of a, a show that had an appeal to me was seeing Eric play, and then he his brother is Jeff Kane, who was in City of Caterpillar. Got him over for like to bring his kid over. He came over with his mom and his brother, and his brother helped him load in and everything. And I was literally playing guitar with my thumb then i had no idea but i thought i had no idea what i was doing but i thought it was so cool to try at that time i was just like enamored of wanting to play you know i wanted to play so bad but i couldn't and it was that that um the cane the relationship with the canes is very formative in me discovering even more music those guys showed me so much more stuff and then those guys you know, we would start our first, my first band ever, which was a band called Nitpick in high school. And, you know, we were, the references were saying we'd do stuff like Bikini Kill, Hole, Nirvana, you know, Punk, you know, Black Flag. But my first show ever, my first show ever that I went to after that was I went with Eric Kane and we saw Mad Star and Jesus and Mary Chain and the Velvet Crush. And that was awesome. And that, kind of still like solidified oh i like all it's pretty and different as i was getting into heavier stuff and then from there like eric was playing and already started another punk band it was like a super ramon style pop punk band and then when we met those guys i remember todd who played in that band gave me the the thing i the thing that really led me into underground diy punk was a born against tape that mm -hmm. it was on it was a mixtape on one side, I can't remember why he lent it to me, but on the other side was Born Against and Rorschach. And that was my, I fell in love with that tape. I listened to that Born Against side like no other. And that's when, and then that's when I'm buying the Maximum Rock and Roll, seeing pictures of these bands, buying CDs. And, you know, you you read a thank you list and you start, you know, and when you're a music nerd, you're just like, okay, yeah, let me, Universal Order of Armageddon, you know, uh, you know, let me get everything on Drum Reform Records. Like, Isn't it so interesting how how we had to connect the dots back in the day, you know, where it often starts with a mixtape or, or even, uh, it reminds me of when I discovered Reversal of Man. It was a yeah. similar story where someone gave me a cassette tape and it was Reversal Man on one side and Puritan on the other. Awesome. And at the time, Jerome's Dream was already – we were in our early stages, but then I heard Reversal Man for the first time early on in, into our existence. And I probably had like a similar reaction as you did when you listened to Born Against where I was just like, holy fuck. You know, like it was just something about – the music and just the, the just the way it made me feel, I just got hooked. And then, of course, you want to do a deeper dive and you try to figure out like how to find out more, or try to get more music of this band. And, and then suddenly you find out that they're they're coming through and and all this stuff. And and, and mm -hmm. I, one thing that you just said that really I didn't really think about before, but is how you kind of like scoured the thank you list and like a liner note to like discover more bands that had. A proximity or an association with a band like Born Against. Yeah, I mean, I'm like the early version of Spotify. Right. It's it 100. I mean, it, it could be you know scouring the thank you lists and maybe even like collages of flyers of other bands they played with. You'd just be like, well, I want to know what this band sounds like. I mean, early too, like Nirvana reading Come as You Are or what is it? This the book that's so good, the uh, the quintessential Nirvana book. That's where I found out the scratch acid jesus lizard and 
and like Sebado. And, you know, it's funny to think that, you know, Kurt Cobain wears a Sebado t-shirt and you're hooked for life. It's like, oh, yeah, this is perfect. For me, it was at least with punk and hardcore, it was like more, it was way more of an underground thing. So you, you it would be getting that tape and wearing it thin. And you find that record when you find that record, the gem, and then you open it up and you, that's how I always did, did it. Like I would figure out, I would check out those flyers. Oh, Unwound. They played with Unwound. Okay, I'll check Unwound. You know, stuff like that. You're just getting deeper. You're getting lost in the, and you know, I still stand currently surrounded by all all this music. It, it, that's amazing. About it. Same, you know, Reversal Man. Like that was really early on for me too. Like probably around the same time for us. Like because yeah, Enemy yeah. Soil, who's from Sterling, Virginia, uh, did a split with them, and that's when I first heard them. I was like, this is amazing. And then that band Nitpick I spoke before, which was our high school band, ended up on a CD compilation with Reversal with Man called the Caligula, Caligula Effect. And that had right. all sorts of like easy, weird bands on it, Page Destroyer and Enemy Soil. And I was like, oh, man, yeah. And I was hooked on Reversal of Man then. And then I finally got that. I found that 10-inch. I'm like, this is great. Finally saw them. They were great. And, you know, so on and so on. Were there any other bands in the Virginia area that you experienced firsthand? I mean, D.C. and Virginia, there's there's a rich history of hardcore and punk. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think specifically, like, with Virginia, I think of bands like Frodis or – well, Frodis was from U.C. proper, but, like, Sleepy Time Trio or mm-hmm. um, 400 Years, just this really, like, legendary bands. Did you ever did you ever listen to those types of bands? Did you ever see them live? Yeah, um, actually. So the first show show would have been the Mazzy Star show, but the first punk show again with Eric Kane. So and maybe Jeff and Chris uh, that I can recall seeing was that out here in Chantilly, um, and we saw Frotus. And that's when I saw Frotus for the first time, and a couple other bands that no longer exist. But Frotus definitely blew me away. They blew everybody away, and yeah. Frodus, you know, and then we discovered them and discovered, oh, these guys work at Record Convergence in Fairfax. So then we'd start making the half-hour trek to uh, Record Convergence, which then was essential. And that was pretty much a DC hub. It, it, essentially, it was like, if every Discord, Teen Beat, Kill Rock Stars, K Records album you need to own, they were like, you know, I ate that. I soaked that up like a sponge, and they did shows. So I had the pleasure and good fortune of seeing um, this, like, a ton they were definitely influential with all of us very early on with their first i think even before their first album their their demo tape was floating around when we first started seeing them and then i remember when their first album came out and we were all just soaking it up we loved it we loved it and then followed the band for a long time all the way up until they broke up and then we'd get back together i've seen them a bunch and i'm yeah they're great I never saw Sleepy Time Trio on their first run, but I did see a reunion and um and since kind of like chatted with some of those people here and there and, and yeah. I mean we played once with four hundred years ages ago and that was they were incredible. But I did really like those bands. But the one we saw the most was definitely Frotus. They weren't a Discord band, but you sort of associated them with Discord at that time. You would see a lot of their the shows were huge in D C then. The shows were Hundreds of people, 200, 300, 400 people. I know, and it's, it's amazing to think that there was that kind of turnout back then for a band like that. And yeah, even my perception of Frodis was they were operating on their own, like own playing field. They were so creative and, and just had a very unique take on like post hardcore. And I think I saw them like once or twice and i think drums dream actually played with them uh we played with frotus and reversal man and essuck uh up in new hampshire it was one of our first shows actually and that was actually right after i had discovered that tape with reversal on one side and puritan on the other so it's like it's interesting how there's almost like this parallel to like your relationship with born against and sort of what what followed after that in terms of suddenly finding yourself um, not only discovering these bands uh, in a record store or anything, but you're, you're you're seeing some of these bands play live. You're eventually maybe even playing or sharing the stage with some of these bands. Uh, yeah, it's it, it makes you realize how tight knit this this scene actually has been over the years, where suddenly 
everything seems accessible when you're in the thick of it. Yeah, to this day, I feel like if I still, because of the the way punk has always sort of um, facilitated communication and community, I've always felt like I can reach out to folks and people in bands when um, if I ever just wanted to say, hey, I really love your band. And I've done that a lot. And to a lot of success, like, you know, have established nice relationships and long-term relationships with a lot of people who in high school, I found out about their band and Maximum Rock and Roll. And then, you know, again, like completely humbled to have some of the, uh, you know, to have, you know, been around, get some insider stories from bands I've loved back in the day and stuff. And, you know, completely humbled. Sometimes I just have to shake my head that I've ever had the opportunity to do some of the stuff. I just think it's great. And I do think it, I owe it a lot to the the idea of punk rock and how it's supposed to work and how people want to see it work. band broke up nitpick and when i wasn't playing for a while and and neither was chris but i wanted to play i was going out to a lot of shows saw a lot of bands we had a, a place we actually had a place in sterling it was called cage community teen center something like that but their focus was putting on shows and so as soon as the play opens in the burbs and all these bands from bc they're always going to just start going out and playing it so i would start seeing a couple of these shows here and about so like at the cage which has been my hometown and we would play you know my high school band was playing with a lot of these bands i saw darkest hour there ages ago stuff like that like you know darkest hour to like i don't know how many people like 20 people or less or something <laughs> that you know so we would see all these people at shows and stuff so i really wanted to play but in that time we met some younger guys some younger punk punker guys and one of them was Johnny Ward, who, you know, has played drums in Page 99 the whole time. And he, but what it ended up happening is that after Nitpick broke up, Blake, of all, all folks, because he's kind of always just been around and doing his own thing, but Blake, right towards the end of Nitpick, had started singing with just on, like, on the side and kind of joined. He was just, like, a good, like, vibe and just a good friend at the time. And he actually had started, asked Johnny to start a band. And they had their first <laughs> the the very the very nucleus of page ninety nine would have been on New Year's Eve nineteen ninety seven with Johnny and Blake kicking it in the in the wee hours before before the clock struck twelve and they like Blake was playing guitar then and like showing Johnny some songs and Johnny was playing drums and he's like well hey why don't I get like Chris and uh, Mike here and you know to work on some songs and I heard like maybe like some riffs that Blake had done. And I was like, this is cool. It was, it was weird stuff. At at that time, we were so into stuff like Born Against and, and then weirder stuff like Dazzling Kilman and the Jesus Lizard and just all sorts of stuff. And, and we were like using weird chords that we just didn't even understand. So we were like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's up my alley. Like, I remember even when the first Page 99 show happened, we still even played a song that Blake would go on guitar and I would sing, actually. <laughs> And I was just one song, but that that night is when when they started, and then I went over for first practice, and I had a couple I had a couple songs, and I just showed it to them, and then I believe I can't remember actually if TL this player who was also another friend from Sterling at the time if he had started right at the same time or right before me, but at that time Johnny was like you know he was still in high school, he was 16 years old, and giddy about being in the the senior punk the senior punk band at that time. <laughs> He'd be like, oh, I'm in nitpick. I joined nitpick. And we're like, no, this isn't nitpick. So th that first lineup was just me on guitar bass, Chris and Blake on vocals, and Johnny on guitar. And then our friend George played in a band with Chris called Possessed 13. And that was just like street punk, like pogo punk. And they were really, really righteous. But George was also another old friend from Thailand. And then we were like, hey, George, you, would you want to play guitar? And that's really the first group there you know me and george on guitar chris and blake on vocals johnny drums and tl on bass that's the you know when we wrote the first you know five releases up to document five that was 
the lineup with no three guitars or anything. We didn't have three guitars up until after we released Document 5, and then that's when we went crazy and just started <laughs> asking tons of friends. That very first group, core group, was Sterling, friends from Sterling who then, like, met up every Friday for five years at Johnny's house nearby, and we would just practice every Friday night, and, and we never missed it. It was like clockwork, we, and that was the lineup. And then members would come and go, and then, you know, my close friend Corey, you know, I think the first add-on was, like, Corey was in college at the time, and Corey and I would just eat up everything. We were the soaking up everything, like sponges, every genre of music, all the heavy stuff. Um, we share stuff so much. We were so enthusiastic that when Corey had – can't remember if he was out of college at that point in time, but at some point he had time to join the band, and he did. And he then was on second base, and that just kind – of, and then from there <laughs> we had another friend. We had Mike Casto, who I think – when we first played with Jerome String, Mike Casto was on guitar. First played with you guys, we were the 80s, I believe, or maybe it was one bass player. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. I just, I just knew it was a lot of you, and you were all really nice. <laughs> it just started, you know, we just started adding friends. That was it. I mean, these guys were around, and we'd just all be, we were all so music fanatical. That we just, yeah, join page 99. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know. Talk, talk so, about like a real open door policy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then, you know, if somebody couldn't make it, and that's why, they're, that's why like, there's so many people who think, like, Page 99's been 12 members at a time because they've probably seen 12 or more different people playing in the band. I mean, Matt Michael right. from Majority Rolls played guitar, Jeff from City of Caterpillars played guitar, then Brandon went, then joined the band from City of Caterpillar, and, you know, so all these guys from different bands and, and friends would then just, like, be in the band. That makes me... uh think about you know the way i've perceived page 99 over the years is a band that is very emotive and has a very expressive element to it you know and i i wanted to know like even though there are that many people in the band at any given time how do you maintain a relationship with actual music and I, when i've seen you live i mean it, it's it's completely arresting, you know, to see a group of people, especially that many, you know, whether it's eight or however many it is at the time, to, to, to see eight people uh, in sync with each other playing this type of music. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's actually quite moving to watch. But I guess the question is, does the, does the connection with the actual song itself change when members change or, or or is there is there still is there something singular in in the execution of playing these songs live even if members are changing throughout the whole time i do think like each member brings like a different feel to to page 99 and even as page 99 went on you know the we sort of grew even like when we were playing music we i was kind of talking about this recently but you know, I learned how to play, like, guitar and songs with Johnny. And Johnny sort of grew up playing drums with my weird, crappy rhythms. So we sort of got really locked in on playing what would be our style. I'd be like, oh, I know I can play this. It sounds like I don't know what I'm playing, but if Johnny plays with it, it'll sound good. <laughs> and then, you know, that's like, that's how we developed the songs is they sonically. And then, you know, the connection would then further, you know, at the time, you know, all of the members were hanging out a lot. We worked a lot on artwork, and I always really loved Chris Chris's lyrics uh, into this day a, a ton. And then you know, so much enthusiasm, like people from, from everybody in different facets. Like Blake was essential in, like, keeping us up for till 4 a.m. working on, like, Kinko-style flyers or artwork. TL was and George were both very like mechanically inclined, so they both can work on vehicles. They both actually had jobs. Were a bunch of bunch of us were the bums. They had jobs where they could like facilitate. So everybody, like financially, everybody had like different roles in the band that together. And I think we just all were really close and hanging out. So I think when you have that kind of connection and you're seeing each other every day and you're practicing every week. And at that time, in your years, when you're really, I mean, I'm sure you can relate to this, Eric, but, like, the moment 
you're starting to play music and you're you're thriving because you can't get enough of it. But in your sharing that moment when you become a musician with this group of people, like everybody's one hundred percent. And I think at the time when people would come and go and page ninety nine, nobody ever really quit. Everybody just kind of had other things they had to do, whether it's school or job. That's how members would change. But when they would join, the same feeling would be there. Whereas, like they were, this was their time to play music. This is the time with when it's every new record you get or something is a new idea that you sort of want to. Oh, I love that! I'm trying to trying to do something like this. So the enthusiasm every Friday when we practice and you know when we finish a song, we it would be the new best song. You know what I mean? And so just you know and when we'd start playing, I think the enthusiasm towards the music just showed and we just always wanted it to be, we always wanted it to be good. And, and everybody would, people would, when Brandon joined the band, he, he really, you know, he was, he came from the school watching stuff. He's a little, excuse me, a little bit older than us and saw bands like Antioch Arrow and he saw Born Against, which I'm extremely jealous of because I never saw him. Uh, but and he would see like a lot of those bands, really a mode of band. When we started, we we were doing theatrics. We used to wear all black. We dyed our hair black. I mean, I remember being so after Born Against happened, Men's Recovery Project happened, and I saw them a couple times. And I always liked how they just tried to stage a show, and and I liked that they would try to make it an experience. So when we first started, we did think, uh, well let's all just look like a gang or like aliens or something, all cut from the same cloth or something. So we, there was a little bit of um, performance in theatrics in the very beginning. Like we really liked the idea of messing with people and by messing with people, we'd play like we'd all fall down at the last song and hit the ground and just let it feed back. There's video stuff like that. And it's just silly. We're just thinking of different things we could do to mess with people just to make it strange. Just because we were into so much weird stuff. The residents, like weird, like art rock and stuff. I love that so much because <laughs> it, it kind of transcends music and becomes something something else, really. And like yeah. you said, it, it's like it's theatrics and experience, you know, and, and there's this like level of camaraderie and meeting of the minds in terms of how you want to express this thing. And like, it, it's almost like, you know, beyond just being a, a regular punk rock band, you kind of fully immerse yourself in this this creative platform that that you you've essentially made for yourself, where you have music, you have collaboration, and then you kind of have this uh, creative direction that you're all seeing through. And I, I, you know, I just actually talked to Justin Pearson of The Locust last weekend about mm-hmm. something very similar when it came to their motivations for their kind of uniform that they, mm-hmm. they took on. And, and it, it was a really interesting uh, conversation about that aspect of the actual performance. I'm seeing this this kind of trend where people like yourself or people like Justin and, and his band, like they, they had this inclination to, to take it a step further, which I think is great. Um, yeah. And, and at the time, I think that was, I think it, it was that much more special because I think in punk rock in our day, you know, 20 years ago, um, I mean, not everyone was doing that. Not everyone had that vision. Not everyone hmm. thought to maybe take it further than just setting up their equipment and playing. So I think it's cool that, that you guys had that approach. I, yeah, I like the idea of it. And, you know, I think, you know, when I started seeing that the Locust, because, you know, all the times I saw the Locust was pre- uh, their costumes, but when mm-hmm. I saw them doing the costumes, I loved it. I thought it was, oh, it was great. It reminded me of like Devo or The Residents or something. And I, you know, I was like, this is super cool. Or like Kraftwerk, just putting on like, <laughs> yeah, the performance art of it, which I was just like, this is super cool. And they're just this extreme, like weirdo band, you know. You know what? The Skin Graph Records, you know, they did, you know, all the bands on there. Like I, I like ate up a lot of that stuff in high school and I would flip through speaking of flipping through art and you'd see all these live shows with people just dressed up in costume like lake of dracula and like like arab on radar and just weird stuff and like that really made its way into page 99 early on when i'd see these like vague crappy pictures of what looked like a live show and they just 
somebody they just looked so weird you know what i mean uh, you know and i'm like oh, that's cool i sort of want to be a part of that i sort of want to do that i was in the same boat where growing up in connecticut and being around like a lot of old school hardcore and, and like metalcore mm-hmm. and stuff like that i mean you know jerome's dream definitely took the different paths and and we gravitated towards those same types of bands you know yeah. and even like beyond beyond more aggressive styles you know we we also we also looked to other bands that were on like Drag City or Thrill Jockey or yeah. you know DeSoto Records or you know which is another um, you know, DC label. Yeah. Um, uh, but but yeah, so I think I think that's that's super cool. And and you guys kind of carried that through your your whole your whole existence, huh? Like, was there always a mindfulness with the the performative element and like the experiential element of Page Ninety Nine? Was that always an, an important factor of the band? Yeah, I think it became that way. I think maybe when we started here, and silly, it's talking about it's funny, but to be completely right. honest, you know, you hear other people start talking about your band being these crazy, you know, and we're not, we're just normal people, but we're trying to put on a good show. I mean, and that, that's and that's just what comes, that is just, you know, but even when we played all these reunion shows, we're definitely like, well, we still want to be the, the wall of sand. We want it to be obnoxious. We we want to put too many cabinets up when when we know it's, we're old enough now to understand it sounds better with less captain. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just you kind of grow up and you learn a little bit more. But we're like, no, it's part of the show. It's part of like what Page Ninety Nine was. And I sort of want that experience to still be there. You know, the, you know the amps and all that equipment become part of your family too. It, it had a presence. So at some point, you could call it a gimmick if you want. I know a lot of people would say stuff like you know the three guitars with the gimmick. It, like. There was not many opposing guitar parts or anything like that, but we just thought the presence—it was what we wanted to make the impress. After the days of us messing around with like wearing all black, we thought then the absurdity of all these people playing in front of this this entire wall of stuff is what brings the show. And then you know, it sort of drives you to um, that all that volume drives you to push a little bit harder too, and kind of you're kind of taken by whether you like it or not absolutely and and to call it a gimmick i think could be deemed as a little bit dismissive you know because i i i I think i got it from the get-go like when i first saw you guys when we when we played together i'm I'm specifically remembering one show we played i think it was in virginia we played a basement show and i can't remember who else it was with it actually might have been with the 1m radio uh, yeah, and, and Richmond, I think. I I know we play with y'all in Richmond for sure. Yeah, I think it was a Richmond show. I just remember this this wall of amps that you guys had. It it just always sounded so good, and I'm sure there's a good reason for it. You know, not only because you're amazing musicians, but the, the 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 sonic output of that much amplification. I mean, it's fucking rad. You know, I mean, yeah. you can't you can't go wrong. Um, yeah, it's just like you know, I mean. And thinking about, it, and, you know, little things would like, I read, I used to read articles back before, like every band started reunited. I would read articles about My Bloody Valentine before finally seeing them about them being mm-hmm. the loudest band ever. And right. like, I was like, I kind of want that. Like, I mean, I don't even know if I necessarily, you know, heard people, rumors of bending over and puking is so loud. <laughs> I'm like, I sort of just want that, you know, and, and then, you know, especially towards the end when we were, wanted to try to play prettier chords. So that's when we were really trying to be like, can we turn this into like something really loud and pretty? Can that happen? You know, in the years since people have done it amazingly. And I love, I love how much that idea has grown in all those years. We did, it was deliberate for sure. And we always wanted it to be, uh, have a presence and a a sound. Speaking of having a presence and a sound, um, one of the standout tracks, for me was during um document number five and that song is fireplace in white can you tell me about <laughs> that song specifically and can you tell me how it came about and what it was like when you guys completed it when you when you wrote it and i think i think the one thing that really stands out to me is is for one the instrumentation uh specifically the kind of dialogue the guitars have together. yeah and and of course, just this unbelievable tension that's that, that that's created. 
that song for me personally was a, a, a an attempt at writing a Dazzling Gilman song from like specifically from Face and the Collapse. There's a song or two from that album with that walking bass line and that drum beat that sort of uh, was kind of idea for it. So that initial riff, the whole idea was like, oh, it gets, you know, it just sounds like a dream. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's make it sound like a nightmare. And then it just goes to this, you know, this pulse that just won't quit. And then it doesn't, you know, it is, the, the, the song does sort of, do what it was always supposed to do. It's supposed to, you know, there, you know, there's an introduction of like a, you know, you're sort of like lost in a nightmare. I mean, this sounds so. I'm gonna listen back to this. I think it sounds so dumb, but it's the truth. You know, it is. Like, okay, yeah, those chords are all mushy together. There's one after another, just going descending, going down, and then it blasts, and then it drops, and then it drones. But you know, the funny part is the part that like. I've done a lot of the writing, if not most of the writing of, of page 99, but like collect, you know, I've never said like the, the thing that was important about what page 99 did for me is like the whole band got in there and then the delivery, the delivery was always, because the songs never really, you know, we tweaked them and we tweaked arrangements and stuff, but like the, the bizarre, weird lead, guitar lead was def, that uh, was written by Mike Casso. Um, he was in the band at that time. And it was it's weird because in the years since we've been reunited and playing shows, each person have, has always been like, who wants to play the riff? <laughs> and like, you know, I'm always like, I always said, I don't want to play the riff. I've never played it. I, well, I I had to teach it like on our last, when we did the run in um, on the West Coast recently, um, I had to teach it to Nate, um, a friend Nate for the first time. And he, he sort of knew it, but then I was like playing it so he could learn some some other stuff and I was just like this is kind of funny like it's like very discordant and uh it doesn't really work but that's kind of what I what and Chris and I have talked about this forever we've always talked about a song sounding like it all of a sudden just gets punched and it's off its track or something I mean or think of a song if it's if you're listening to tapes and we've talked about tapes and you're letting it play and all of a sudden it slips but the song's still going, and then all of a sudden it catches again. So I've always wanted to, and to this day, Chris and I will still talk about writing that song that sounds like a wind just put, picked it up and and took it out of its uh, took it out of its rhythm, and then it pulled back in. Well, and I think I think you successfully achieved that. I mean, it really hit me on such a visceral level. Uh, there was there is something about how those guitars how those guitars are interacting. I mean, I, w- I would literally get chills because there was something about the repetition. There was something about how the guitars clashed on top of that pulsing bass line. It's such a wild combination that works so perfectly. And it's like you listen to that song now and it, it still has, you know, a musical sophistication. And I think that whoever has seen you guys live and have seen that song live um should consider themselves lucky <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean you know we when we were and thank you eric i do appreciate that that means a lot you know coming from you and you know being be, being the folks that have played together for so long you know you, you know that i've loved rome stream i've told you this time and time again so uh, thanks man but um there when we were doing the re- reunions we we're like we're like, do we do we play this song? We were sort of tired of it. And we stopped playing it after a while. You know, the last two years of the band, we didn't really play it anymore. Definitely, the last year we didn't play it. So we sort of got away from always feeling like we had to play it, like Earth right. with like Firestarter or Firestorm. 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 <laughs> It'd be awesome if they play Firestarter. If they covered Firestarter, I'd be there yeah. front and center. But, yeah, no but yeah, we'll, we'll I'd have to see that. I know, right? Um, <laughs> Speaking of the, the, the most recent tours that Page 99 has done, um, th- there was an amazing component to these tours, and, and that was, you know, all, all the charity work that you guys and Majority Rule did, which I, I found to be so impressive. I, I mean, I, w- I was just so so amazed by money that was raised. I mean, collectively, I think it was the, the first seven shows that you did on the East Coast, right? You you raised well over thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. And yeah. and and donated to, to multiple charities. 
for one, what was that experience like when you guys got together to do this tour, but then to add this additional component to it that that did so much good for so many people and brought so much attention to so many great charities? What what was that whole experience like? I would say the the last two tours, the two benefit tours that we've done, I think for me is a high water mark in in my involvement in music because it's kind of where music it's where punk rock uh it's where punk rock made its point for me like i'm playing with people i love who i've known for 25 years or something playing in the band that i still have deep affection for and when i hear those songs loud again uh can get completely behind them but this time you get to use this this band uh in a way you've never been able to use it before and it's like the idea to try your best to give this sounds cheesy but it's so real giving back to the community that gave to you when you were younger and you needed it you know when you're younger we all have the same story in your high school and you know you're lost or people are picking on you or you know you feel different than somebody and you know going through changes and our identity losing faith uh anything maybe at the end of a relationship, so there's so many, so much real stuff that's happening to somebody at a, at a time when you're really growing, and for me, during all those times, I felt like punk rock was there, and like, to be able to turn around and use loud, insane music that would never make it, that would never make it to 99.9% of people's ears, and, and raise enough money to make a difference for people who really need to be heard and like have those folks be like oh this is and we appreciate that you're doing it and you know growing also growing up in dc you see it all the time so i sort of this is kind of funny to say but in some ways i've become desensitized to a bit oh it's a benefit show right oh it's a benefit show fagazi i mean you know fagazi and discord everything and positive force there's always been so much good benefits in dc like benefits benefits are a part of punk in dc if you grew up in this area you just you played a benefit show but in in a way it fell on deaf ears for me when i was just young i just kind of cared more about playing but i always was like oh you find out the benefits were cool which maybe you don't care about it i mean i always thought it was cool but it would be dismissed maybe almost and then with the current the current you know uh the landscape current, yeah, yeah exactly thank you the current mm-hmm. landscape mm-hmm. of our country and everything and yeah. the president it, it's gotten dark and it's really highlighted how important it is to to come back like like you never have before with these with raising money and making voices that are heard heard um and giving them their support no matter what 100 percent like support from this one punk rock counts the most that's why we did it. You know, when we got decided to get back together, we always sort of wanted to get back to get, you know, to play again because we liked it. So when we, our first reunion, we just did the, we were just simply asked and it had been long enough that we we're like, yeah, let's do it. So we played two shows and that was that. I didn't really think the band would ever do anything again, but maybe on the heels of seeing City Caterpillar reunite and then at the same time, Malady had played with them. I'm just like, I was just like, it just kind of got the wheels turning. I was like, how can we do this? Where, you know, and then it was Katie Otto who hit me up. And I think people know Katie Otto in our scene. She's been involved for years and years. And she's done a lot of beneficiary and charity work herself. And she and Blake uh, both bumped into each other. And like, you know, you should get Page 99 to do some shows and just benefit. And then Blake and she's like, Katie Otto said that we should do this. I'm like, I was like, I, you know, I, I believe that text literally hit me on a day when I was reading some article and completely disgusted by something I had read. And then I said, Hey, yeah, let's talk of this. And then she's like, really? I was like, yeah, I mean, what could we do? And, you know, we, that's where the ideas started flowing. And my first inclination is like, well, to do this again, and we're going to play more than one show. Like, I really want to play with Majority Rule, who's always been our brother, brother sister band. Soulmates is something I've always referred to. So, and I've always wanted to see and play with them again. And when we said, approached them and said that, you know, they'd be benefits and we could raise more money if we did it together. And 
all across in all the different towns. We can bring more, but we can get old bands to come out, and we just raise more and more money and make a make a serious dent in this. We really, it's not like trying to pat ourselves on the back, but it's like and it got us together in a way we haven't been together to get in the van and play. Um, we realize the end of all this when we've done all this and it feels so good. You're just sitting around and you're talking about how you guys have known each other for 20 years, and we've always sort of been around each other and satellites of each other personally. But to kind of be that close to you together again, it's really strength re-strengthened the relate the relationships with that group. So to this day, you know, as a 40 year old, I still find it so impressive how so many of us were able to rally when we were kids and to to create what we created. So to like fast forward to to these recent years and for you guys to do what you did, it's just like that's that's like the the real deal right there. You know, and um, Jerome's dream was was um, lucky enough to play with No Man in Detroit over the summer. Um, oh yeah, and we 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 loved meeting them, and we we loved playing with them, and it was just it's just cool to also just know like even though it wasn't majority rule, I mean even though it's like majority rule, and it was, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, it's but but it's just cool to know like the the history behind a lot of these people yeah. and the things that they've done. And that's why I, 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 to this day, still admire bands like Page 99 or, you know, bands like The Locust or, um, you know, bands like Orchid, you know, even like Will, you know, who's, who's still recording bands and mm-hmm. uh, has, has his studio up in Massachusetts and still has his involvement with this, this idea of, of, of punk and, and, of course, evolved over time, but... Uh, like, will you know, will be the last standing punker uh, from the, you know he he will be like when the um the earth will discover will uh, somehow is still there that's what yeah. I think of will <laughs> I mean he's so yeah. glad. all of his bands are good always good he's always recording good punk rock yeah I love it but yeah. I always bother him too to try <laughs> every time Page and I would uh, talk about doing I was like can I get orchid and he's like no never never. <laughs> I love it. I'm still gonna bother him about it though. We oh, can yeah. tag team him. Well, I, I'm 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 trying just to convince him to get on the podcast. <laughs> oh, I would die! I would die to hear Will well, uh, just riff it. I swear to you, I would love it. Yeah, well, let, let's see. Maybe we need to start a petition, but um, <laughs> no, I'll I'll, pro- I'll probably get him before we need to go to those lengths. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gosh, we can talk forever about page 99, but before we we, we wrap up this interview, I, I would love to know a little bit about what happened after page 99 and the entry to Pygmy Lush. And it's interesting because it, it's sonically so much different from page 99, but there's still this visceral quality to the songs that I find myself having like a, a visceral effect i think it's uh it's a good day to hide is is one of the tracks that i absolutely fell in love with yeah and um i wanted to know like like what what was the motivation for you and chris to start pygmy lush and and how 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 soon after page 99 did that begin pygmy lush started maybe a year couple years page 99 the fish broke up in the spring of 2003 Mm -hmm. and at that time chris and i were playing in mannequin still and we were uh doing tours with mannequin and then about a year after page 99 maybe not even quite a year after page 99 broke up chris johnny and the and then kevin and jonathan moore kevin long and moore who were who were in page 99 for the last year and on the last um how how many records two at least two records that split with circle takes a square and then with majority rule, they started a new band when City of Caterpillar broke up. So that was Malady. So four members of Page 99 and two members of City of Caterpillar kind of got together and did Malady like about a year or so after Page 99. And they played strong and they were an excellent band. Incredible live. It was so amazing watching like watching Chris and 
Johnny perform but not be a part of it. It was mm-hmm. kind of like flooring to me, but um, it was so special to kind of watch that band develop, and especially as well with all of them were some of my closest friends. So, but that like burned out real quick. Um, they they just only did the one record. I think they were only a band for a little over a year. So about 2005, on the day Malady broke up, Chris and I talked, and Mike Woodman, who was in uh, Mannequin, we were like, why don't we like break up Mannequin, or at least not do Mannequin, and get Johnny to join? We thought maybe let's get Johnny to join Mannequin, but then we're like, let's just do a whole new band. So on the day the day Malady broke up, we asked Johnny if he wanted to do this new band. And I said, I actually really want to do some like crazy thrash thrashing noisy punk stuff like you know some of the 99 stuff is like kind of getting there just do loud again because at that time at the time when mannequin was playing for a few years after i was sort of hating on everything screamo and you know every band sounded the same to me i had a bad attitude about it now i'm like sort of like can see it from a different perspective you know high insights 2020 and i appreciate it but at the time i was sort of worn out on it but i missed it and we were like let's just do some like crazy punk rock and that's how that band started, like literally. And we would, I think we had our first practice. Let me see. I can't remember. Oh, we had our first practice. We did, um, we told Andy Lowe we were doing this band. And he's like, I'll do a record without even hearing us. And in like April 2005, we started practicing and working on songs. It was almost all punk. And then, like, somewhere around the summer, we, you know, we were listening to so much stuff. And, Eric, I know you relate. I mean, you guys used to play with 1 a.m. radio. But all the, all your, like, indie influence from back to day, from Sebado to, like, Three Mile Pilot to, like, totally. you know, anything from Neil Young to Tom Waits to Bob Dylan start making their way into your music. So we were like, let's just, like, this is weird, but let's write these really weird, like, pretty tunes and stuff them in. And we were thinking, like... You know, Chris and I have always worshipped uh, uh, One Foot in the Grave by Beck and just like that kind of fo- like, uh, you know, indie folk sound or something like whatever that was, that record, we loved it. And then stuff like Husker Do where, you know, this, the records would be so different. So we're like, well, let's write a, a record that has all these punk songs, but then has these like nice little indie rock songs in there too, like indie or, you know, country or folky, whatever you want to call them. And when we started really sinking our teeth into that, that's when we got excited again for the first. I had not felt anything like that since page 99 in the beginning. Wow. Um, so that's when we're like, oh, it's like this is new again, trying to play quiet music. And that just took over eventually. Um, we have an album currently that's 16 songs that we don't have released that we recorded with Kurt. He, <laughs> this is like three. We have a whole album we recorded three years ago, almost four years ago. And, that's and, it, and it's just the light of day. <laughs> wow. And, and what and are the great. plans for it? What are you, you going to do? Well, I mean, um, I don't know. We have to, you know, the, you know, Pay Me Lush is sort of on a hiatus at the moment because um, we just had our last lineup had parents in the band and we were just really trying to, um, balanced life and this music and then um aaron had left the band we had um aaron and andy were partners um and had children together and they were both in the band and aaron decided to step down from the band to kind of be more present with their domestic life because she was like okay well you know it'll be easier for you guys to find a bass player than you guys to find a drummer and at the time Aaron was playing in several bands uh, she had like three bands going so she's like I have these other bands I can sink into and then this will free up more time for Andy to get out there it was just like a, a really adult move and and for no reason or you know no rhyme or reason we just have not done anything since then I think maybe those 99 reunions happened and that really kind of took precedence for for a little while but we keep talking about, hey, we got to figure out this album. So we recorded this full album with Aaron. So it's funny because Aaron and Chris both played bass on it. So it's two basses, mm-hmm. two guitars and drums. And some of it's really heavy, but it's pretty heavy. And then it's like, then we have like one, and then we have some righteous punk rock on it and like one or two really pretty quiet songs. So it's really a nice blend of everything that band's ever done in one. And I do hope sees the light of day. I, I mean, do. Even, if I have, I have, even if I have to put it out 
myself, which yeah, has to <laughs> one way or the other. Um, but with, with Love It though, um, you know Haram, who I played with uh, Matt Michael from Majority Rule, we did that band um, together for a little while for years, and we and they they knew Brian from Love It. And that's how that connection happened. And at that point, when I was doing Haram, that's when Pimulash started too. We started playing all this quiet stuff, and Brian was really liked. He's real responsive to the quiet stuff. That's when he asked if we wanted to do a couple records, and we're like, oh yeah, definitely. Like, hmm. you know, so the relationship still stands. And you know, um, our last record, that the one we wrote and did with Kirk a couple years ago, is supposed to be out on Robotic Empire. But I know, you know. Uh, Lindsay from Robotic Empire and I have talked a bunch about maybe just we still <laughs> here's the funny thing is like we don't want the record released because we still want it to have an official release so but she needs to make her money back for the record because they paid for it mm-hmm. so we're in a situation right now where we're like okay we need to pay Lindsay for this record so she's not sitting on X amount of money and then and then we can have the record and, and like either give it to somebody who's interested in putting it out or, you know, just put it out ourselves. Either way, you know, we've just been like, we, we've we been sitting on this too long. We've got to do something with it. <laughs> we definitely want to do Yeah, we've talked about it. And, in fact, I've told ourselves, in this new year, we have to play. Um, everybody's still interested in playing. Um, we've talked about what lineup we did that would return because we just don't know who has the time to play. But the core at this point has been me, um, me Chris, and and Mike Whitman who've been doing the band because Johnny left the band a little while ago. He left the band when we were starting to get really busy and I just don't think he would tour a lot or anything. Um, he still did and we still saw each other. And, but, um, and you know, when our last time we played, which is a few years, three years ago now, when we did the Mallet and City Council reunion, um, Johnny joined us on stage for, for a few songs, which is to play some of the, we played Good Day to Hide and stuff like that. Mm. So that he's very much a part. Johnny is very much a part of that quiet, um, those quiet tunes, and we all wrote that stuff together. But we all, yeah, very much so. We want to return to that play. We just, I guess, we just have to get in a room and have a real conversation about uh, making it work. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, definitely want to do that again. I would love. It's like if the record would come out, maybe it would motivate us to play, or maybe if we played, it would motivate us. Put the record out. Somebody's <laughs> got to throw the first pick, is what happens. <laughs> so true. Maybe I'll do that after I get off the phone with you, Eric. <laughs> well, I hope that happens. <laughs> and then, and then I can take the credit for uh, yeah. for, for being for being yeah. the spark. <laughs> Put this out, and then you know maybe like the label hears it too, and then says, "Yeah, let's let's make this for the record, Eric. If anybody wants to put out the Pay Me Less record, just let us know." And uh, give Mike we'll a call. He's yeah, give happen. me a call. We'll we'll make it happen. We'll work on it. But uh, no, I mean I, I love that band too. I mean like, you know, it's special. I mean, then this band is like we haven't played in three years, but that's officially the longest band. I mean, I think thirteen, fourteen years. We, two thousand five is when we started playing, and our last show was two thousand sixteen. But yeah, we'd love to return to that. Mike, I think uh, we covered such a good amount, and yeah. I'm, I'm so happy that we were able to get on the phone today to do this. Um, Definitely. You know, I feel like we could talk in into the night. There's so much to cover, and there's so much to there's so much to even reminisce about. I mean, my God, sure. there, I, I know there's so much that we we haven't covered, and who knows? Maybe maybe I'm gonna have to have to have you back on a a part two follow up, especially when Pygmy Lush is doing their world tour and the record uh-huh. and <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and then but, drums, uh, drums, dream, take me last, have a little run. Yeah, there like is just just a casual run, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is uh, this is episode number five of Microspy, and uh, and Mike, I really appreciate you being a part of this. I'm so glad we got to catch up a little bit, and uh, hopefully, I will be you soon. And it, it has been a long time, so it'd be be so rad to just like have a coffee or a beer and like oh yeah, catch up and one hundred percent. So maybe and thank, next yeah, time. thank you for thank you for um, yeah I mean thank you for asking me to do this it's like I said my pleasure to chat chat with you over old times or anything I'd love I'd even on the opposite love to ask you about all the drone stream stuff so we're gonna have to chat some more. <laughs> Thank you.
If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and share this on social media. You can also make a donation, buy a t-shirt, or simply send me a note of encouragement. That's always nice. Thanks for listening. Thank you.